Let's, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Where will we be without your church? Thank you for the fellowship of believers, how we can have a good time together and just uh, laugh together. And I can still hang almost with teenagers and just thank you for your favor upon me, my family, and this church. In Jesus' name, we ask for you to open our minds to know the scriptures. And amen. So I'm going to begin with something really cool. If, if you were here last week, I'm going to tell you what, I, I just love last week's topic, this, this idea of fragile clay jars. We are dirt filled with life. If last week was fragile clay jars, guess what chapter 5 is? New jars. New jars. It would be wrong for him to have chapter 4 telling us how fragile we are and just leave it at that. So chapter 5 describes new jars. The scriptures have told us, and I'm gonna, before we get into chapter 5, let me set this up. The scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, one day, right now we're all like the earthly man, right? We're all like Adam. We got Adam's body. We came from Adam's seed. We live on the place that Adam lived. But there was a man who came from heaven. He's called the Son of Man and the Son of God, and he's in the same body. Now, if you, you could think about that for a long time. There's nobody that's had the title of the Son of Man and the Son of God in the same body. But Jesus is the Son of Man. He came from Mary. He's the Son of God. He didn't come from Joseph. And he's in the same body. So he is the, he's the second Adam. He's the, the last Adam. Well, when we're born from our mother's womb, we come from the seed of Adam, which means we've got Adam's body, right? And people die, because that's what happens. So one day, we're not going to have Adam's body. We're going to get another body. So guess what? what will be the pattern of the other body? Well, it's not Adam, so who's going to be the pattern? So, here we go. Let me go to chapter 15 uh, of what we studied last semester, 1 Corinthians, and then we'll jump into chapter 5. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from where? You can't read over this. He, he didn't come from the dust of the earth. Uh-uh. He came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. Well, that'd be us. Heavenly people are like the heavenly man. That'd be like us one day just as we are now now right now we got this in common we are now like the earthly man we will someday be like the heavenly man somebody say hallelujah, hallelujah. 
right now we're like the earthly man. But one day we're going to be like the heavenly man. Now, can you imagine what it'll be like? Because sometimes I like to just sit down, turn everything off, and guess. Can you imagine what it'll be like to not live in a fragile clay jar? Can you imagine what it's going to be like to have a non-fragile, unbreakable, unscratchable, unbruisable body? Let's just stop for a moment. This is real. This is real. My right knee is killing me tonight. So I, I think the Lord needed an illustration for tonight. And from Adam's body, I have a knee that it doesn't hurt all the time. It hurts sometimes. And today's one of those sometimes. I, now, I'm going to tell you, it would give me great joy to know that I could go spelunking with a bunch of high schoolers and not have my right knee hurt. One of these days, that'll never cross your mind. One of these days, the things you thought you might want to do, like zip lining across the Royal Gorge, okay? One of the things you might want to do, but you're afraid you can't do at this age, or bungee jumping off Tyrone Bridge. Actually, I don't even think I want to do that in a new body. <laughs> I don't even think I want to do that if I don't have a fragile clay jar. But can you imagine there would be no physical limitations in your life? Living in a world without physical limitations. Listen, I'm not going to read over this. Because if you want encouragement, it needs to be based on something. It needs to be based on truth. You and I have been offered eternal flesh. Tonight, we're going to talk about the offer of Christ to redeem this human flesh and make it like him. I'm not going to read over this. I'm not going to read over it lightly. It's a big deal. For this to make sense, we need to switch our analogy tonight from jars to tents. Okay? Both represent our bodies that house the presence of God and the breath of life itself, which is God. So last week we talked about we're fragile clay jars, and inside the fragile clay jar is the breath of God, the life of God, our soul. God puts his life in his, inside our soul, and we become alive. So tonight we'll use a different analogy, tense. Let me put it this way. Your tent is wrapped around your soul. Right now, we're, we're in the room and we are souls wrapped in tents. We're souls. We're not the other way. We're souls wrapped in tents. We're not tents wrapped in souls. Our identity is not in the tent. In fact, you know, one of the saddest things in our current world is people judge people by the tent. You look at somebody's tent and you think you know who they are. And you've got no clue who they are. 
Because you and I are not a tent. We are a soul. We are a soul wrapped in a tent. You are not the tent. You're not the wrapper. You are the soul. The soul is you. Now I can start chapter 5. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. Now I want you to go through that. That This tent, unless Jesus comes, this tent's coming down. <laughs> one way or the other, this tent's coming down. I don't know how long your tent's going to stand. One way or the other, the tent's coming down. But he says this. When we die, we're going to leave the tent. You're not going to... We, when we bury somebody in a funeral, we go to the graveyard, and we put that body, we put that tent in the ground. We are not putting them in the ground. If I'm preaching a funeral, I almost always make a point of that. And unbelievers look at me with that real funny look in their eyes, like, you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. We are not putting that person in the ground. No. Because, see, I know the truth. That person is not a tent. That person is a soul. We're not burying souls. You don't bury souls. Souls leave the tent when they die. Well, let me read it to you. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will what? Float around in space waiting for something to happen. No. We will have a house in heaven. An eternal body. Made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Won't be from Adam's. See, they're dust of the earth. Not like that. Good news. Right? A new body. An eternal body. A house in heaven made by God himself. So, so listen to Jesus say, saying this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. This is it. This is the promise right here. A heavenly home. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Now, that's the good news. You want the bad news? You don't get it until you die. So take two Tylenol and shut up about the knee thing, okay? You got to die first. And by the way, this is a spiritual and a physical truth. You'll have to die spiritually. And you will die physically unless Jesus comes first. A body that is not produced or reproduced from Adam's seed type. But a different seed type belongs to believers. You will still be you. I, I, I'm going to emphasize this all night long. You will still be you. you will, it, it's, it's not going to be. It's not, some people have this idea that when they get to heaven, it's going to be so different. You're not going to know anybody. You're not going to know anything about your past. You're not going to think, know anything about your circumstance before you went to heaven. Well, then you didn't go to heaven. Somebody else went to heaven. 
You will be you in heaven. You're going to be you. Why do you think somebody else is going to get your name in heaven and you're going to be happy about it? If somebody else gets me in heaven, I'm not going to be pleased. I want to be me in heaven. I am Terry Cooper, created by God. You are created by God. You are you because he made you to be you. You'll be you in heaven. Now, you're going to get a new covering, a new tent. What's it going to look like? I don't know. I really don't know. Some people say, well, we recognize people in heaven. Yeah, I think you'll recognize people in heaven. Sure. Absolutely. How? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you'll look just like you do now, except you're permanent. You're permanent. It's just that, ladies, you won't need makeup any days. It's just you wake up looking good, okay? Don't go there, Terry. You're going to get in trouble. So, so you will still be you. You will have a new tent. And, and I tried to find a way to be funny about this, but I was afraid to try. You're, you're going to get a new soul wrapper. Now, I, I wanted to go... So, not that kind of soul wrapper, okay? Different kind of soul wrapper. You're going to get a soul wrapper, a new one, wrapped around your current soul. This is what Jesus was trying to communicate to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Why? Why can't you do it? Listen, how many of you read over this? Because humans can reproduce only human life. Right? You know, you know this is in here, it's just simple. Why, why can't I? Why can't I enter the kingdom of God without being born again? Because humans can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. That doesn't have any expiration date on it. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Humans have been reproducing this Adam's seed-type body for a long time now. But the Spirit, which is Christ, gives birth to a new seed-type life, leading us to a new and eternal jar or tent to contain our soul, our person. What does it? The Spirit. So what's the Spirit? The presence of God. God is life. And if life moves inside of you, it always cures death. Why? Eternal life. I came to a simple yet profound conclusion. Eternal life cures death 100% of the time. Eternal life cures death. If you never stop living, you'll never die. Now, let's put this together and jump into chapter 5. I'm going to read the first five verses. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. 
and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. We long to put on our heavenly body like a new tent, like new clothes. For we will put on heavenly bodies, for we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Our present bodies grow weary, and they wear out. We long for our new bodies. We long for this new change of clothes, this new tent that will wrap around our soul forever. Big point. When we put on this new heavenly tent, we will still be physical. You will not be a spirit. You will not be a ghost. You will be physical. Human beings are physical beings. Jesus' resurrected body was a physical body. He ate food. You could touch him. He could take hold of things, and yet, mystery, he also walked through a closed door. Don't know about that one. But he's physical. We're not going to be spooks. We're not going to be Casper the Friendly Ghost. We're going to be, you're going to be you, and you're going to get a new body. What do you think that body's going to feel like? Think about it. Sometimes I think we go too fast. What, what, what do you think it'll feel like? Do you think you'll have feelings? Like you do now? Touch. What makes humans human? We see, we hear, we taste, we smell, we feel. Touch. Will there be more? Some people think, well, we're only experiencing, what, just a little portion of the brain? I don't know. How would I know? I only have a little bit of the little portion of the brain functional. So, but will we, will we have those same five? I think you'll be you. But I think there'll be, I think if, if we see colors today, I think the colors we see then will be magnified like beyond your imagination. We're groaning for this. I'm convinced that believers are supposed to be groaning. Remember Jesus and Nicodemus? Humans can only reproduce human life. So here's my question. What does this knowledge and this promise of God do to you personally? Tonight, when I start talking about this, and I, and, I, and I take those pauses on purpose, and I want you to visualize a future world in a new body. What does it do to you? I can tell you what it does to me. It strengthens me. Because I, I, if I know what's on the other side of the, the finish line, and I'm running the race, and I'm nearing the finish line, and I'm getting tired... 
what awaits me on the other side of the finish line motivates me to keep running. And if I don't know what's on the other side of the finish line and I get tired, you know what, I might stop in this race. But what if, what if you know what's on the other side? Does this promise of your future reality, does this promise of your future reality change your current condition and outlook on life? It's supposed to. It's supposed to. You know how I know that? Verse 6. Next verse. So we are always confident. Why? Because even if you mess up this body, I'm going to give another one. We are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. But I'm still confident. Why does that make me confident? Because I know that if this earthly body is thrown into the trash, I'm going to get a new body and I'll be in the presence of God. Are we always confident, even while we live in this messed up dying body in a messed up dying world? Now, verse 7 reveals the essence of faith. For we live by believing, not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is what? To please Him. Do you live by believing faith or based on current sight? We walk by faith and not by sight, right? <laughs> we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. But what do we actually do? We live by believing, not by seeing. So, so let's, let's put this in practical application. Right now, the Word of God, God's Word, has promised to all of you that on the other side of the finish line is a brand new body. And he says, all you got to do is don't quit. Don't quit. Keep running. Face God and keep going. All right? So what's that do? If you believe that, not, it's not on what you see. Because what you see might make you stop running. But if you believe by faith that across that finish line is all the promises of God in the kingdom of heaven, guess what? It's not based on what you see, it's what you believe to be true. Right? Faith is being sure and confident that on the other side of that finish line, God's going to keep his word. You're going to get a new body. You're going to live forever. You're going to be you. You're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, do you believe? Let me rephrase it. Are you confident in God's promises about the new body when the doctor tells you that the current body has a major malfunction. You see, if all of us in here tonight are healthy, this means this much. But when you go to the doctor and he says you have an inoperable brain tumor, this is when this gets real. Who are we? Well, you, you have an inoperable brain tumor. You have a disease that has no cure. 
you have a cancer, you have a something, and in your expectancy, a life expectancy is in trouble. In those moments, you, you need something that doesn't move. In that moment, you're going you're gonna to find, in that moment, you're going to find out who you are and you're going to find out what you believe. You see, up until that moment, you think you know who you are and you think you know what you believe. But in that moment, when the doctor looks at you, you're going to find out just real quick who you are and you're going to find out what you believe. Now listen, nobody wants that moment. I get it. But in that moment, we're going to figure out are we confident in God's promises when those moments happen? I'll give you a test. If you believe in the resurrection of the dead, then why would you be afraid to die? I'll take it a step further. If you believe that you're going to get a new body as soon as you stop breathing in this one, then why would you be afraid to give up this body? Listen, I, I am not making light of the topic. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to present the spiritual reality called truth. Because one of these days, everybody in this room is going to need this. One of these days. Unless, unless the Lord comes and takes us beforehand, we're going to need this. We know that if we die in this broken flesh of Adam, our spirit, our soul will go home to be with God. If we are confident in these promises of God, our goal will be to please Him now and in eternity. Now, the topic is going to change in the next verse to the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if you want a topic that people have totally misread and misquoted, this is one of them. So hang on, here we go. Verse 10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Now, now what are we, what's the context? Now, verse 10 is not in the middle of the air. It's in the context of something. So let's go to verse 9. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. We're confident. I'd rather be with God, but right now I'm here in this broken flesh. And then he, puts, then, he, then he comes in and says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Some of the other English translations, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will each receive whatever we deserve, whether good or evil, for what we have done in this earthly body. Okay, here it comes, here it comes. What is this judgment seat? Is this when believers are assigned heaven or hell? No. No. It is not. Yes, unbelievers will stand before Christ to be judged. Notice I said unbelievers. They will stand before Christ to be judged. And some will be condemned to hell, but not believers. Believers are not going to stand before Christ to be judged regarding heaven and hell. Are you with me? Believers have already experienced judgment. That's why you're a believer. You've already experienced judgment. That judgment was when Jesus was crucified. Let me, let me make sure, because y'all giving me that look. When Jesus went to the cross... 
my sin, your sin, my judgment, your judgment was placed on him. And God did to his son what would have happened to me. He did it to him. He struck his own son. The judgment of Terry Cooper, because I'm a believer, the judgment of Terry Cooper was Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. There's not another judgment. By faith, he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. And by his wounds, I am healed. I'm not looking for a judgment. I believe in Jesus is the judgment. So what is this? So what is this? We must all stand before Christ to be judged. What does it mean? Believers have already experienced judgment on the cross. This judgment of Christ is for rewards. Not eternal punishment. So. What do you think heaven is, what do you think the eternal kingdom of Christ is going to be like? A bunch of cookie-cutter robots? Stamped out cookie-cutter robots. Everybody has the same job. Everybody has the same responsibility. Everybody is exactly the same. We all walk around. What, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Do, do you think that the reward of the Apostle Paul will be the same as mine? No. No. You see, there are people in the church, and don't, don't think, I'm not naive about this, who think, well, no, 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 that's, that's arrogant. No, no, it's truth. I'm going to tell you, it's truth. What he's describing here is believers are going to stand in front of the judgment of Christ, and they're going to receive their eternal reward. Your assignment. You're going to be you in heaven, but you're not going to sit on a cloud and eat cream cheese bars. There's a, there's, a, there's a whole new existence going to happen. And we're going to be a part of that existence. First off, before that eternal kingdom begins, there's going to be a millennial reign of Christ on the present earth. And you and I are going to have assignments inside that millennial reign of Christ. We're going to have different responsibilities. I don't know what that's going to be. But he does. He's going to assign those. Unbelievers aren't getting those jobs. Let me read 2 Corinthians 5.10 from the Christian Standard Bible. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Repaid. Now, I get the idea that most Christians, including me, I don't really feel comfortable talking about this sometimes. Because I don't, there's no part of me that thinks God owes me anything. Okay? Let's just start right there. So if you think that I think that I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ thinking, okay, pay me back. That's the last thing I'm going to ask him for. Pay me back. But he will. Because he's righteous and he's holy. Now listen, 
I'll be happy to sweep up around the place up there. Okay? Give me a broom, dustpan. I'm good. Just fishing maybe two days a week. I'll be good. But that's not the truth. We live our lives based on the truth. Romans 8.1. I'm going to try to convince you, show you what I'm talking about. Romans 8.1. There is, let's, let's first begin with this idea that, that believers are going to stand in front of Jesus. Believers are going to stand in front of Jesus and he's going to say, heaven or hell. The mere idea of a believer getting hell is, I don't know where your theology is. Why would a believer get hell? Doesn't make any sense. So what are believers doing before Christ getting assigned hell? You might say fake believers, but they're not believers. They're fakes. Listen, 8-1. So now there is no, now, church age, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is none. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of of sin that leads to death. You're not going to be free. You you are freed now. Number two, John 3.18. Jesus says there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. There is no judgment. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. There is no judgment in the future of a believer. Your judgment took place already. Believing Jesus died for you was your judgment. He was the sacrifice for my sin. Verse 19. And the judgment is based on the fact. God's light came into the world and people love darkness more than the light and their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed but those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what that they are doing what god wants for a believer in church age now let me put a twist on it all right I'm gonna put, if, if you're not confused already stay with me and i'll confuse you for a believers in the church age your judgment will be the rapture wonder how many of you got that already for believers in the church age. Okay, us. Us. Okay, let's just be real. Us in this room. You know what? There will be a form, a form of a judgment. If tonight at 10 o'clock there is a loud shout, the voice of the archangel and trumpet call of God, and all of us go, that was judgment. God judged you sufficient in Christ if you remain here you have been judged insufficient in Christ so if you want to in, in, in a way that's not judgment day but it is a judgment because I don't believe everybody will go but he knows who they are and he will discern, which is what, what is judging? He will discern which ones, you, yes, you, yes, you know, you, yes, you know. He knows. When the dead in Christ are going to rise. Dead in Christ are going to rise. Dead in Christ. What if you're not in Christ? You're going to lay there. 
You're not rising until the great white throne judgment takes place. You're not rising. But the dead in Christ, there's a judgment. And we who are still alive and who are in Christ, we're going to rise. So for a believer in the church age, your judgment in some ways will be the rapture. So what do we do in the meantime? And what does it mean that you're going to get paid? I didn't put it in here, but I'm almost positive. It's Matthew 19 toward the end of the chapter. I thought about this after I finished the document. Um, Matthew 19 says this. Jesus says that any of you, any of you who give up houses or land or mother or father or brother or sister or wife or husband for my sake and for the gospel, I will return to you 100 times, 100 times what you have sacrificed for me and, and, eternal life. You think he's just making that up? A hundred times. Where? You think that reward, some of that might be in this lifetime. I don't know. Might not be. You might go to prison like Paul and get none of it in this life. But I think Paul will reap his a hundred times in the heavenly kingdom. You see, God promises rewards. In fact, there's a, we studied in the last semester, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's in 1 Corinthians, where he says that, that uh, he, he uses this analogy, wood, hay, and straw. That, that some people have spent their entire life and all their life really mounted to was wood, hay, and straw, wood, hay, and straw, wood, hay, and straw. Oh, and, and when the refining fire of the last day comes, all of their life's works will be burned up in the fire and they will escape, but only as one escaping through the flames. Remember that text? And people think, well, that, that they were saved. No, no, this is about rewards. Their life was about wood, hay, and straw. I, I won't mention the name, but I had a meeting with a preacher not too long ago and we were having a very serious conversation and he asked me a question a very deep question and i gave him a deep answer in fact i i'm, I'm amazed today I'm, only the holy spirit gave this answer because i never thought of this before i said it and i said listen i'm convinced when all is said and done and i stand before god the only thing in my life that will have amounted to anything the only thing in my life that is not wood hay and straw are the very things that God specifically called me to do, and I did them. Everything else is wood, hay, and straw. All of my busy work, all the little things that I think I'm going to give to God because I'm just really cool, or I had a really brilliant idea, and God, let me show you what I'm going to do for you today. Wood, hay, and straw. Wood, hay, and straw. But I'm going to tell you, there are some jewels and the jewels are when you have a relationship with him to where he calls you, anoints you, ordains you to do a job. And you do that job. You don't go to the left and you don't go to the right. And you don't ask questions. You do that job. You finish that thing that he gave you to do. You heard his voice. You followed his 
will and the Holy Spirit led you to completion. It's not wood, it's not hay, it's not straw, it is gold, silver, and jewels. And when the refining fire comes, it will pass through, and a hundred times will be the return. Why? Because that's how God works. Now, are you on this side doing it for the hundred times? No, no. And you will never do it for the hundred times because you know that you are unworthy of zero. You're unworthy of any of it. But his word means there will be a reward. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Let's keep going. Because we understand our fearful responsibility. What are we doing while we wait for this new body? Huh? Church, what are we doing while we wait for this new body? We understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord and we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are, out of our, if we are in our right, right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Fearful, NLT uses the phrase fearful responsibility. I feel that. Do you? I'm, I'm going to tell you. That is one of my heaviest burdens. I'm not trying to pretend to be noble. I'm giving you the pure truth of my heart. This is the heavy burden of my life. I feel a fearful responsibility. Why? I have in my possession the cure to death. I know how to defeat death. I know the cure to death. What am I going to do with that? I have a fearful responsibility to persuade other people not to die. I do. And yet, I walk up to somebody who's dying and I tell them about how not to die and they just give me that look or think I'm nuts. We work hard to persuade others to come to the life of Christ. And yes, there will be rewards. Our ultimate life purpose is to bring glory to God. I have a prayer. Uh, I just about never walk through that curtain or come up on the stage on Sunday until I say, until I say these words, for the glory of God and for the souls of man. It's just something inside of me that says, may what's about to happen be for the glory of God and for the souls of man. See, I believe the first and the second commandment are wrapped up inside that sentence. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. For the glory of God and for the souls of man. When you come out here to preach, when you go to do what you're going to do today, may it be for the glory of God and for the souls of man. May you never lose sight of the purpose of your life for the glory of God and for the souls of man.
Let's face it. When the unbelieving world looks at us, we are a strange people. Come on. If you don't, th if you don't think that's true, go to Fayette Mall, put a chair right out there in the middle, and just tell everybody you're waiting for a guy on a white horse to come get you. In the sky. Don't call me to come get you out of jail, because I'm not coming. Just tell them. Just tell them. You know, hey... I'm a Jesus follower and I'm waiting for this guy on a white horse to come into the heavens and there's going to be a loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet blast and all the dead people who are believers in Jesus are going to pop out of the ground. They're going to get recreated eternal flesh. They're going to go through the clouds. About that time, look at their eyes. To the unbelieving world, what do you think we look like? A bunch of kooks. And then, because I play this. I play this when I'm in circles of unbelievers. And I'll play it and I, hey, I'm not going to apologize for who I am what I believe. And then when they start looking at me and getting out of my, I'll say, excuse me, and, and what is your plan? You mock my hope. You mock my future anticipation. You mock the truth that I stand upon today. Would you please, I will respectfully sit here and listen to your plan. What is your plan? They have to. Then the grave is all that's in front of you. What is the meaning of your life? You have no meaning in your life. We have the cure to death. We don't operate from a human point of view anymore. That's who we used to be. That's not who we are now. Let's go to verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Beauty from ashes. Chad sings a song here. One of my favorite songs we do in worship is God makes beautiful things out of dust. <laughs> He's, this is specialty. He took Adam and he made him out of dust. He takes our messed up life and he turns it into something beautiful. Ashes. It's all messed up, burned up life. And then he comes and says, follow me. And he turns our story into a beautiful story. Belonging to Christ is an acknowledgement that we used to belong to the other spirit. In fact, anybody who legitimately says they belong to Christ is always proclaiming that I used to belong to the other spirit. Because I will never know this doctor until I know I was sick. I will never know this Savior until I know and acknowledge that I was lost. Now, we've been set free and given life through the grace, this free gift and mercy of God. Go to verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God. This new body thing, these heavenly rewards thing, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Did you hear me, church? God has given us this task of what? Reconciling people to him. The calling of the church is that we reconcile the lost to God so that they're not lost. Reconcile means what? Bring them back. 
For God, verse 19, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When I stand up here on Sunday and I say, turn around! Face God. I'm pleading, not from me. I'm pleading on behalf of God. Turn around. God's not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. Verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The thing that I, we did a Roman study in one of these sessions a few years ago. I'm going to tell you what, powerful. The thing that just never leaves my mind about the book of Romans is this. The book of Romans tells mankind how to be made right with God. You won't have to guess. It's so, it's so simple, how to be made right with God. Now, but the assumption to be made right with God is that you're not right with God already. And to be right with God is wrong. And to be right with God is right. And you can be made right with God. Abraham, how did Abraham become right with God? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. I was praying yesterday morning. By the way, I had the most incredible prayer time yesterday morning. I don't know why, got no clue. Just, whoa, one of those. And in yesterday's prayer time, I, I remember something happened. And I was, I was laughing and I was kind of singing. I was taking a walk. And, and I said, Abraham believed you. And you credited it to him as righteousness. And I'm praying to God. I'm saying, Abraham believed you and, and you called him righteous. And Lord, I believe you. I believe you. I stand here in front of you and I say, I believe you. Abraham believed God. And God said, if you will believe me, I will credit you. I will, I will give you credit for a righteousness that you don't have unto yourself. Here's what it means. Before Abraham believed, he was not right with God. Believing made him right with God. And God called him his friend. To be made right with God makes you a friend of God. So why don't you believe him? That was my prayer. Lord, why do we make this so complicated? Abraham believed you. He heard you. And he believed you. And Lord, I heard you. And I believe you. It's not arrogance to believe that God has credited to you his righteousness. He took it out of his account and deposited it in my account. What? His righteousness. My account was overdrawn in righteousness. It was in negative numbers. I didn't have any. So it was credited to me as righteousness. He took the righteousness of Christ 
and put it in my account. What did I do? What did I do to make the transaction? Well, first off, I did not initiate the transaction. He did. Did Abraham initiate it? No. Abraham was just being dumb Abraham. And here comes God. God says, Abraham. He reveals a covenant promise. You know what crazy thing Abraham did? You know crazy? He believed him. He believed him. You know what the church that will be saved is? There's a new covenant. It is way superior to the one he gave Abraham. This one's in the blood of Christ. And there will be a group of people on the earth who heard of the new covenant of the blood of Christ. And you know what they did? They believed. That's it. That's it. That's it. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I believe every word of it. How wonderful is this message of Christ? And today we live with the hope that we might still be the generation that will not see physical death. This is a secret to the lost and unreconciled world. But it is not a secret to me, and I hope it's not a secret to you. What? What I'm about to read. We'll close. Verse 51. But let me reveal a wonderful secret. <laughs> now listen, I can tell you why he's revealing a wonderful secret. Is so it's not a secret anymore. We will not all die. Remember earlier when I said wood, hay, and straw? I'll share something. Wood, hay, and straw. Wood, hay, and straw, I believe. And again, I, I, I'm not going to make this mean anything to anybody but me, okay? I've been here for over 17 years now been a whole lot of real clever ideas I've come up with. Most of them didn't amount to much. <laughs> but when I really look back, I have done three things in 17 years. Three things. Only three things. I had an encounter with God. 20 years ago, maybe. Happened over a period of three years. God said, I will appoint you to be a watchman. Number one, I believed him. Number two, the deliverer is coming. Number three, make the church ready for the wedding. She thinks she is, she is not. If I look back over the last 17 years of this church, I have consistently done three things. I'm convinced that when I get to the end, the only thing that really is going to be matter is that I did the three things he told me to do. Maybe everything else is wood, hay, and straw. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. If it is written. But how meaningless would it be if I put aside those three things and I came up with a real crafty idea of my own to do for 17 years? And you know what? I've had several occasions in that 17 years that I thought I ought to back off those three. 
And I've had a whole lot of people say, Terry, you talk about Jesus coming way too much. And I said, everything else is wood, hay, and straw. Because I know Abraham believed God. He didn't make up a story. He didn't come up with a plan to create a group of people called Jews. He heard from God, he believed God, and he followed God. And God did something that changed the world. Blessed the world through Abraham. So let me tell you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. See, I still stand here 17 years after I came here and believe that I will see the return of Christ in my lifetime. That's how I live my life. And I'm going to keep telling people that. And if they look at me all cock-eyed, I'm going to tell them anyway. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. What do you think the transformed is? What do you mean transform? Well, you, you're going to get a new body. Somebody say hallelujah. If you all want to keep this old one, sign a petition up here and I'll turn it in. <laughs> you want to keep the old one? No, you don't want to keep the old one. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into what? Immortal bodies. Why do you need an immortal body? <laughs> Why? Why are you going to need that? Because you're going to an immortal place. It's standard equipment there. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for a new covenant in, this, in the blood of Christ. We have heard you. And we believe you. In Jesus' name, amen.